episode of the Perfect Bar Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by world-renowned sports psychologist, Brett McKay. Brett, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thanks for uh, having me. I don't know about the world-renowned part. Um, I'm just trying to do good in my, old ho- my own household. So Yeah. Well, I, I would definitely say so with, with a lot of your players, uh, you know, that include Billy Horschel and John Rahm and many other incredible athletes. Uh, so we, I had you on the show last year, and we kind of went over a few uh, basic concepts of the men- mental game, got some of your ideas there. But since then, what's really happened to you in the last year? Um, you know, I think it's... Uh... Uh, you know, it's been a great year to watch growth. And as we, uh, you know, as watched players, you know, move through the uncertainty of COVID and the uncertainty of a lot of things that we've had of how to, you know, get back to a, you know, kind of a, a normal that we knew before COVID and, and how golf and, and sports has really been a fabric to keep us moving in that direction, which is wonderful. I think it's, um, you know, it, it's been nice to see. I, I think I've learned a lot from my players, probably more than they've learned from me about uh, confidence, focus, intention, you know, things like that, like that during this time. Had uh, a number of victories on the PGA Tour from my players, which is always fun to see. I've got uh, watched the emergence of Sam Burns over the last 14 months move up to number two or three in the FedEx Cup right now. And, um, watch him play and obviously Billy playing well and John playing great and Hudson Swafford winning. And, and so it's been, it's been a great year. I've, I've spent some time. I've launched uh, break free from Suckville, a great book on how to deal with managing expectations and why those are so bad for us. Um, and getting ready to launch a online course called the foundations of the mental game, uh, which is a phenomenal entry into the way that, uh, people start in the process of building a mental game that actually works for them instead of, you know, um, allowing frustration and anger to get the best of them. You mentioned your new book, Break Free from Suckville. Can you tell me a little bit about that book uh, and, you know, kind of what it provides to the reader? Yeah. So I wrote Break Free from Suckville because I was, I saw a theme of people coming into my, um, my office and into my sessions, uh, focusing on, you know, this frustration of like, golly, I, I don't know why I always seem to like struggle when it matters. I don't know why I, I'm always, you know, frustrated and, and things like that. It's like, you know, why do I suck? And that was literally a common theme that I was getting and I still get it today. But what happened was I started realizing that people were, they were placing this ideal that their best performances were becoming their standard, right? And they thought that every time they go out and they play, they should play perfect because they practiced hard. They wanted it. They've done the work. They've done, right? All those things that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that that's not the standard. The standard is that we struggle and that we work through it and we fight through it and we do our best work and we, we grind and we strive and we do our stuff like that. And the, the, the problems are that when we do that, we reject the difficult and the fact that we, we're resilient. And so what happens is because we always fall short of our potential, we ignore and we reject our reality. And that reality is probably getting better and better and better during the course of the days. But when we're constantly rejecting it, that space between our reality and our potential is what I call suckville because it is a miserable place to be. Um, and so that's kind of what that's what the book's about is give people some tips and ideas to help them ma- manage that. Yeah. 
wow that yeah so i've i read it uh you know almost as soon as it came out and i found tons of good information in it so where can people find it who are interested in getting it um well they can get it uh um they can get it on my website um at brettmccabe.com that's spelled b-h-r-e-t-t uh, mccabe m-c-c-a-b-e or amazon or any of the places that you do online shopping um audiobooks out not audiobooks out um e-version is out but I've got to just sit down and either record or have somebody record the audio version for me who's got a better voice than me. So <laughs> I just haven't gotten that point yet. Yeah. So something you posted on your social media, I think it was a few weeks back at this point, but uh, you know, it seemed really controversial to me at first. And so I shared it with a, with a poll and you know, a lot of people disagreed with what you said. So I want to bring up, you said consistency is a myth. Yes. And um, I actually agree with what you said there, but I, I have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who don't. So uh, I kind of want to get your ideas behind that. Well, the, the reason I say consistency is a myth is that, you know, people want consistency, right? They want, I want to be consistent. Well, what is consistency? Shooting the same short score every single time? Mm-hmm. Or is it feeling the same way every time? I mean, because that's really what it is, right? It's like, uh, you know, I hit the ball out of the center of the club face every time the way I want to mm-hmm. and, and so on, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what they're saying is consistency. And But you play a variable game. You play a game in an uneven surface. You play a game with different demands on every shot. So how can we be consistent? So what you're actually doing by saying you believe in consistency and want consistency, what you're actually saying in that is that you can't handle the up and downs, the difficulties, the variances around the game. That's what you're saying is when you're begging for consistency, that's what you're begging for is you're begging for the easy versus the game has natural variations. It is a not a consistent game. It cannot be a consistent game. Right. So you show up today, it's 85 degrees with a light wind out of the West. Okay. Tomorrow you show up and it's 74 degrees. It's wet and you know, pins are in tough locations. Tell me what's consistent about those two, right? That you're going to hit it the same way. I mean, you know, we, we assume and assign so much value to luck, meaning that it's our skill. And we also assign a lot of value to bad breaks to our failures. So that just destroys consistency in the heartbeat right there. So why are we even trying to get it? I'd rather you face the challenge of today because what you did yesterday is over. Now, do I want to show a pot? Do I want to show a trend of average that's better? Yes, that's different. Your average, I want to improve on a daily basis. That's not consistency. That's that's your average score. But just like anything else, right? Your average is based around the outsides, the the mm-hmm. poles, the swings. So somebody comes in and says, "Man, I shot." Okay, I'll give you an example. Right? You would say that Patrick Cantley is consistent, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. He missed four cuts last year in a row. He missed five overall. He had an 18 shot differential between his low and his high round last year. That's now, is crazy. that consistency? Yeah. That's not consistency. Yeah. No. That is the fact that his average got better, that he figured out a way, but he shot a 79 in the tournament and also shot a 61. Now, it doesn't say, I don't know which where he shot the 61. It could have been on a par 70, which is still remarkably good. Mm-hmm. But but it's it may have, it may have been an eleven under too. Who knows? I don't know. But consistency in that is consistency of approach, consistency of mindset. But he's not calm. Everybody sees him as being stoic. He has said very clearly he's seething underneath, 
right? He, he, he has said mm-hmm. out of respect to Tiger, I wish I could just let it go like Tiger can't. I can't. It just eats me up on the inside. So is that consistency? No. That's him fighting for every shot that's out there. And the year that he wins a FedEx Cup is the year that those things work in favor in unison due to some of his talent, due to some of his luck, due to some of his ability to get the ball in the hole. All those factors are controlled. That is not consistency. Consistency is like, I look at people's game like the weather. If we live in Miami, Florida, we know that the weather is going to have a certain trend. It's a climate, mm-hmm. but your day-to-day is your weather. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And I think a lot of people confuse the uh, difference in consistency of performance and consistency uh, in terms of what you put into the game. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal, right? We all want confidence. I mean, I think there's a very large number of people who will be like, oh, yes, uh, you know, I need to feel confident. Well, is confident your ability to hit certain shots under pressure? Probably. But better confidence to me is the ability that you can face anything that you stand before. That That's confidence. I can handle whatever happens. If you've gone out on the golf course and played really well and even had to hit a, even had to take a drop, out of a hazard, a penalty mm-hmm. area, whatever we want to call it. Okay. But you're like, it's okay. Like I can deal with this. Like Max Homa wins yesterday taught by my dear friend, Mark Blackburn. And he is, it wasn't pretty. It was tough conditions all week. I watched him because one of my players was playing with him in the um, Thursday, Friday round. So I watched him on the uh, tournament, you know, on the, the PJ tour live. He made a, a horrendous double bogey on a, not an easy par four, but but early in the round on Thursday, mm-hmm. he was three under or two under and went fell back to even whatever it was, something like that, and he just kept plodding away. So that's consistency. That's being good all the time. No, we look at what he did at the end, coming down the stretch. Yeah, three shot lead. All of a sudden, it was a one shot lead. He had to battle to make a bogey, but yet got it done. Mm-hmm. Right. That's. So should we take that away from him and say that victory wasn't as good because it wasn't flawless for four rounds? This is a guy who won four times on tour now, three in the last 21 months. Right. I would say that he is, people say, I want to be consistent like Max Holmes. Well, then learn to deal and be confident with what you're facing, not how good you can be. I mean, you, we miss hit shots. We are not machines. The biggest myth in golf, okay, two, two couple. Mm-hmm. And this has been perpetuated by teachers for way too long. I come from another sport, so I don't have a problem saying this. But <clears throat> I was just getting a text message from a, a former teammate of mine who played in the major leagues who's helping a golf team on mental stuff and things like that. And he said, why are our guys not strong enough mentally? I said, it's not that they're not strong enough. It's the fact that we have defined our standards as the wrong thing. We've deci- defined our standards as great play, great golf all the time. That is inconsistent. That's not how we played. That's not how we were raised. That's not anything. We were raised to battle and to fight and to reward in that. But because we can, the myth is I can put you on track, man, and get your numbers zeroed out perfectly, and you can rip it on a range. It tells me that you have any predictability on the golf course. You have zero. Right. That's the equivalent of getting on a Peloton bike and being able to ride real fast and then trying to go ride in the Tour de France. Not the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Just because you can put a ball in a position up against a simulator, up against a launch monitor, tells me nothing. Tells me that you have a beautiful swing, but this is not a modeling contest. Okay. So the myths in golf, right, is that a good swing, good swing increases the likelihood 
but it doesn't guarantee anything. Okay. The reason we teach to it, and this is going to offend some people, is just because we can measure it. We teach to it. Teach people how to get the ball up and down. Teach people how to grind. Teach people how to have a fairway finder. Teach people how to get the ball um, around a golf course when they have their B minus or C plus game. Teach people how to, you know, struggle with a, a wedge, but know how to get the ball and know where to hit it. That's why I'm a big fan of like Scott Fawcett and people like that. So mm-hmm. I'm not knocking teachers. I get it. I understand it. But people in my field in the mental game teach to flow. Flow happens 5% of the time. Why in the hell would we teach to flow states? Teach to people getting their stuff taken care of it when they have their 95% game, which is hard, difficult, and miserable. Yeah. If you're going out to the golf course and going to play, you are going to think today is going to be your best day. I don't know a pitcher in Major League Baseball that shows up to the ballpark and thinks today is going to be a no-hitter. There's a lot of good stuff there. And, you know, how... With coaching, you know, coaching a golf swing, how do you balance between, you know, coaching a good golf swing for good results and, uh, you know, the mental game and kind of grinding around the course? Well, I think they're they're complementary, right? You've got to have a good golf swing. You have to have a good enough golf swing to get the ball around the golf course, right? Talent and skills is the first factor of success. You've got to be able to put, hit a ball where you're aiming. Now, does it matter what your wrist angle? Look. We know that people on tour are, are exceptional for a reason. They are superstars for a reason. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they have innate abilities that maybe the rest of the people don't have. All right. Don't know how that happens. I get maybe they just somebody yeah. didn't coach them out of it and they just figured it out. A lot of times you ask those players, they're just like, I just figured it out on my own. Wow. That's a really good idea. Like they took a bunch of balls and they realized how to hit a ball over a tree. Okay. They figured it out. Right. But we've got too many people now that sit there and look backwards and say, what did I do wrong versus, okay, why did that ball go that way? What did I do wrong in understanding? And so if a great coach, a great teacher coach is somebody who's going to sit here and say, okay, why do you think that ball did that? Okay. You know, why do you think that, you know, when you swing X, Y, Z, the ball goes that way. Okay. Versus, Hey, if you swing it like this, every single time, you're going to be great. You've got to have a foundation. Just like me pitching. I had to have the basic abilities. Well, advanced abilities to be able to throw a baseball where I wanted it to go. And there were technical keys and foundations that are critical for me to do that. I have to do that. Yeah. If you don't have that, you have no chance. So the middle game does not, the middle game is not the base layer of the pyramid of success. If you want to say that like that. The, your athletic ability, your ability to swing a golf club, your ability to put a club face on a ball, your ability to have strategy on the golf course are all going to come before the mental game. The mental game is the, the final edge that sharpens the tip of the spear. And it gives you the belief to know that it can pierce and get through anything. That's how I've always seen the mental game. It's a fabric that runs throughout. It's a thread that helps you the way you train, the way you practice, the way you get better. But it's not, it's, you can't have a great, you can have a great mental game with a bad swing, but you're not going to play really good. You can, you can have a great swing and not have a great mental game and you will score. You just may not score enough to, to make you happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. PGA tour players win 80% of their money in five events a year. And yeah. in those five events, they may have two or three rounds that are really good. Okay. Maybe two. Yeah. So they are really good at dealing with the uncertainty and the unknown and the difficulties of what they're doing. And that's what we have to get better at. We have to get, we have to understand that we can't be what they're not like as parents, if parents are listening to this parents, we got to give our kids a break. 
we've got to give them a chance to get better. We've got to give them a chance to be, be okay with what they're doing and not hold them to standards that are completely unrealistic and incapable of overcoming. Like you weren't that good when you played, you don't need, need them to be as, you know, to be Tiger Woods right now. Yeah. Teach them of how to show back up, teach them how to handle the tough day, you know, teach them that having a bad day, they don't need to leave the golf course immediately, call their coach and be on the range, teach them to sit and have lunch with the guys that shot the course record. And nobody can tell what your kid shot because they're so gracious and so good. They're not pouting in the corner and angry. More kids are afraid of what their parents are going to say than actually shooting a bad score. Hmm. Now that's a shame. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, regardless of if someone else is putting pressure on you or you're putting pressure on yourself, I think it goes ties back into what we were saying earlier about consistency as a myth. You know, tour players are really, really good. They're the best of the best. But when you actually look at some of their stats, like I think last time I checked, the average score on the PGA Tour is 71.4. Yep. Um, Scott Fawcett's decade, one of the first videos he has, is I can't remember if it's Doc Redman uh or maverick mcneely or somebody on the range with a trackman hitting you know 37 irons and showing the shot pattern and it's it's giant like you you know it's for what you think of when you think of a pga tour player it's a giant um and you know they're really really good they're the best of the best but rarely are they as good as everyone thinks they are correct so we were talking, you talked a little bit about confidence and how important that is for golf. And that's something I want to dive into a little bit. And, you know, you were reframing it from confidence, uh, you know, in your ability to hit really good shots more to your confidence in your ability to face adversity. How do you really reframe your, your mind around that? Well, I mean, I think you have to look at what the challenge is in the shot that you have right now. Let's say you get off to a terrible start, right? And you're six over par through four and you're not going to have a lot of confidence out there. There's no way. And a lot of times people say, I don't know what happened. I, I, mean, I don't know where this went wrong. I don't know why this did this. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't either. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's every week there's a football team that is getting blown out in the first quarter and, and it didn't go according to game plan, right? Sometimes things just don't happen according to plan. And I don't know why that is, but you know, I think being able to reset and refocus and not get over it, right? Players, you know, so I just wanted to hurry up and get this over with. Yeah, me too. But it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you've just got to stay in the fight and, and try to, you know, win the next shot, try to get the next thing taken care of. And if you can do those little things, you have a better chance of success. But the problem is most people can't, won't do that because, you know, they're, they're worried about what the outcome is going to be, or they're worried about what somebody's going to say about them, or they're worried about what, you know, whatever the, the next challenge per se is, instead of people just kind of taking a look at it and saying, okay, I can, I can sustain this storm. What, what am I capable of doing? I can still work on the shot I want to hit. I know my mind is overwhelmed right now with, with, with mechanical thoughts and I I don't know where my club face is, or I don't have speed on the greens. Okay. That is all true. That is all accurate. And that is all unfortunate, but it is truth. It does happen. So can I, can I find a way to get this ball in the hole? Yeah. That's, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of times, uh, you know, especially for me in my game, you know, working on swing stuff, it's really easy to get away from playing golf and start playing golf swing. Oh, yeah. Well, me too. I mean, I do too. I, I fall into the same trap. I wish I wouldn't, but I do. Right. I mean, but, you know, I go out and play and, you know, I played this weekend. I'd played really well in a, in a tournament recently and put up some good numbers and liked what I did. And I go out and play with my boys this weekend and my buddies and we're having a little money game and, you know, playing a nice little wolf game or something. And all of a sudden I look up and I was four, I was four over through five. I was like, yeah. And I literally don't think I had a bad shot. Like, you know, I, I literally turned to a guy in the cart and I said, I, is this sound weird? This is the best I have felt over a ball in months. My rhythm felt great. My ball contact felt the difference was I normally, for instance, for me, normally I will kind of pull it a little bit. Like I've got a little, like if I'm playing a certain way, I can play a little bit of a draw and maybe it's a little pull. Mm -hmm. And this day I was playing a really nice, just straight little fall over fade. Well, you know, the problem with that was, well, to Fawcett's approach, maybe my lines were a little off, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, and, and so as a result, I kept getting myself a little out of position and trying to do too much. And next thing I know, I was in some tough spots, but you know, I, I battled and I'm not going to say I played phenomenal the rest of the day, but I left there and I was like, okay, like, all right. I mean, I, I, I liked the trend. You know, I, I, f I fell into the gap, right? That most people say, which is, oh, man, I hit it good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't, don't want to hit it good. I want to score good. Right. Like, I really enjoy scoring. Like, I like getting the ball in the hole and posting a score. I don't like a day beating me. I'm a competitor. I don't like people beating me, but I really don't like the golf course beating me. But that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, we, we play an obstacle course. And and if the golf course's name was Bob, we would go at it different every day. All right, Bob, what you got for me today? Let's go. And and that's the way I look at it. It's like, okay, you got me. Yeah. There were a couple pins and spots. I mean, it was one of those days, and I'm sure you've had it. I'm sure your listeners have had it, where you hit it really good. Next thing you know, you have a a 15 footer down the hill with a two footer break. Yeah. It's like, dang. <laughs> okay, I hit a great shot. Now I've got. Now I'm might as well sell tickets for this ride. Right. Like yeah. if I can get this ball to stop within three feet, I'm really happy. All right. And that happened. I mean, a, a, another example is a beautiful par three. I got up and my buddy Blackburn shows up and he was just giving a talking junk to us on the golf course. And we get up to this downhill par three and had the wind in my face. It had 180. Had, it was like it was playing adjusted like 175. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hit a seven choke down. I hit a seven. And I normally hit my seven, like 182, 185 in there. I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to play it smart. It's into the wind. The pin's on the front. I don't want to bury it in the front bunk or whatever. And I hit it and it comes off and Mark goes, oh, I love that. The ball flew the green, hit off the back ridge and went out of bounds. Okay. Now where in that moment? And he looked at me and he said, oh, okay, come on. Now let's have a talk here about some strategy. He said, I didn't think you were going to fly the green like that. But he said, Brett, your miss is always short here. I'm like, I don't want to think about miss. I want to hit the shot. He goes, you were a club and a half long. Like, come on. I said, I know, but I was trying to play smart, right? Because I didn't want to, what do we, what do we always tell people? Don't miss short, right? That's terrible, right? No. You miss club. I'm like, 
I fall in that every time. But I did everything right. I made a double. I mean, everything I did right. Everything I did right. It was one of the best swings I made all day. I mean, my instructor buddy who teaches Max Homa, right, who wins, looks at it and goes, that was phenomenal as the ball's in the air. I love that. And it just sails. Oh, yeah, I was coming off a birdie, too. So, I mean, look, we all struggle with this. So, look, how how many players on this, uh, listening to this, take a look on a Friday night at who missed a cut. You will learn more than looking at the top of the leaderboard. Hmm. Yeah. People are like, oh, no, I mean, I didn't even... I mean, Rory McIlroy never struggles. Okay. I mean, this week he played pretty well, but, you know, if you take a look at that and say, okay, you know, who's been really, really good lately, right? And so you look at him and you're like, oh, well, I didn't realize he missed a cut. Huh. Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, must not have cared. You know, must have been getting ready for the PGA Championship. No, trust me. Don't know a player who gets out there and goes, I really don't care about this event. I just spent $10,000, but I don't care about this event at all. That's about what it costs for them per week. Brought something up there with, you know, don't don't want to miss short. And I think especially on courses, we all play frequently. We have spots that we we tend to miss in for whatever reason. And under pressure, at least I find myself really trying to stay away from those common misses. How do you set up to a hole or set up to a shot? And let's just say, for instance, there's water on the right. You can't ignore the water, but how do you accept that there's water on the right? You know, saying maybe your miss is the right to the right for that day. Mm-hmm. So there was a very popular myth that went around for a while that the mind doesn't know what the word don't means. Okay. And I've seen this on presentations. I've seen this on memes. I've seen this in a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll come out and they'll make comments like, ah, oh, the mind doesn't know what don't means. When you say don't hit it in the water, all your mind hears is hit it in the water. Okay. Look, that's just false. Okay. That's Bigfoot. Okay. It doesn't exist. It makes for a great show. doesn't exist. Okay. Yeah. Um, when, when we get up to a T, your mind has to work like a funnel your focus and the funnel goes from wide to narrow. The wide part is we're walking, you know, up to the tee box. We got a club in our hand and we taking in information. We're scanning. Our brain is scanning the environment without you even realizing it. Okay. It is scanning. It's paying attention. You know, there's water there. You can be like, don't look at the water. You know, there's water there. Go ahead and look at it and go. Okay. So let's take an example of like 17 or 18 at sawgrass. Okay. There is water around that. Everybody knows it. Like, You'd be silly to not know it. You walk up there and you go, yep, there's water down the left. There's water surrounding the screen. Okay. I took advantage. I took, I took account for it. I see it. I know it. I'm not ignoring. Okay. If I tell myself, don't look at the water, don't hit it in the water. It's not the fact that the brain doesn't know what that means. Of course it knows what it means. What it's saying is then why is it such a problem or risk if it is there? That's the problem. So if you hit it in the water, what does that mean? Oh, then you have to take a penalty stroke. You're probably not going to get the green in two. Um, You're probably going to make a double, right? You see the consequences start building up. Mm -hmm. So now our mind goes, our funnel, instead of being wide to narrow, all of a sudden goes narrow to wide. That very first part of the funnel, which is your awareness and what's going on, is telling you danger, 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 stranger, danger. Don't, don't do that. So now your whole strategy is how to avoid the danger versus how to execute. When your funnel is correct and it's upright, we look at the danger and we go, yeah, no kidding. I don't want the danger to happen. 
Okay. But at the end of the day, it's about hitting great golf shots. And I want to hit a shot at that tree down there on the right. And what I'm going to do is step into that shot with some purpose and some drive and some intensity, and I'm going to hit this golf shot. And if it goes in the water, I'll deal with it. But I would rather hit a great shot than prevent a bad one. Mm. And I'm not saying being stupid, hit a, you know, like hit a, a, a shot on the edge. What I'm saying is I'd, I'd like to step into this shot and I'm going to commit to it and go through my process and I will deal with the consequences. And now I'm going to hit it at that tree and it's going to have a little draw. All right. Now I can see it. I visualize it and I step in and do it. But when your funnel's upside down and it's, you know, it's trying not to have the negative things from happening, what happens is you step in and you look at it and you go, don't hit in the water. Okay. And when you get over the ball, it's like, okay, just make sure we, we, you know, don't, don't come over the top. Make sure the club face stays open. Make sure you see what I'm saying. Now it's not about executing a golf shot. It's how not to fall off your bike. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's a great way of looking at it. And I think we're developing a, uh, you know, kind of a, a theme here of, you know, commit to the shot and commit to, you know, whatever's going to come from it, working through that rather than trying to play perfect golf. Well, think about this. Is there a golf shot out there? Is there a scenario out there, regardless of your confident or not, that you cannot commit and have high intention to the shot at hand? Think about that. Yeah. What are the factors that would prevent you from hitting a shot the way you want to? Well, when you really boil it down to something simple, there's not many things. Yeah. It's just that we break our process. Our process sucks. Yeah. It, it was funny. This past week I had um, Trent Borelli from Barstool Sports came in to work on his chipping. So mm-hmm. kind of kind of pretty well-known guy in the golf world, right? Mm-hmm. And it was funny. It was like, he's like, I suck at this. I'm like, you don't suck at chipping. Your process is abysmal. Okay. But you're mm-hmm. not, you have good hands. He's a drummer. He's grown up playing drums. He has rhythm and he has hands. Yeah. Okay. His process walking into a ball was about as bad as somebody at Top Golf. <laughs> okay. Once we got it dialed in, it was a simple fix. And I mean, he's good. The guy's a good player. And so, I don't know if he'll continue to do it. His mind runs like a rabbit, like a, like a squirrel. So I don't know if he'll continue to follow the plan, but, um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, he's got to, you know, work the process. You look at the best players in the world, the best have the best processes. Hmm. Well, if we want to go eat at the best fast food restaurants, you, you go to ones that have the best processes, raising canes, Chick-fil-A, um, you know, stuff like that, their mm-hmm. process, they can get anybody through the line. They can produce the best food over and over and over again, yeah. right? Because their process, their standards of excellence of the way that they do things, they're not just saying, hey, today, let's turn the French fry machine. Let's just turn it down a couple degrees because yeah, I don't know, it's hot back here. <laughs> no, there's a standard of excellence. We do it right. the same way every single day. Right. So h- how do you go about developing the best process for yourself? To me, it starts with how do you want to see the shot? Okay. Do you, do you want to hit a golf shot with, you know, a certain way when you step into it? Like, what do you, you, you have your own fingerprint. So how do you want to hit a golf shot? And if you tell me, you know what, Brett, I love to walk into it and feel like I'm moving around a lot and I see it. Cool. All right, good. For me, my process is, you know, I get behind the ball. I know the shot I want to hit. I'll take one practice swing just to move. It's not a feel of a mechanic. It's just literally to move. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'll step behind it and I will verbally call my shot every single time, every single time. All right, bud, here we go. I'm headed at that birdhouse down there. I don't say with a high cut or high draw or anything. I'm just going to hit it at that thing. Yeah. Hmm. And does your process differ depending on, you know, I'm sure it does a little bit, but you know, on the green, like, is it overall? I wish, the same I, I'm thing? not as good on the green. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of Aimpoint. I've been a part of the Aimpoint mm-hmm. team from the very beginning. I was there when they started Aimpoint Express in Spain. Right? Wow. Um, I was giving a clinic when Mark Sweeney and Rob Noel, who was kind of one of the influencers of that, you know, they came up with an idea and I was giving a clinic on one green and I look over and they're figuring out something over there. So I've been an Aimpoint Express fan forever. It's funny. I forget to do it all the time. <laughs> So, I mean, right. I, you know, I mean, this is what we do, right. I mean, this yeah. is the struggle. You know, if I had a caddy who was like, Hey, Brett, don't forget, we're going to do this every time. I'd be like, Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. But it's amazing. My putting speed, my putting um, line is so much better when I do Aimpoint express, but that works for me. There's somebody out here goes, Oh, it doesn't work for me. I tried it. Cool. It doesn't work for you. Figure out your right. way. Don't care. Right. Like I had one of my tour players tell me that when Aimpoint express was real big, and it was kind of taken over. It was new, and and that's what happens out there. It's like it's like getting a new video game. Everybody wants to get a, a version of it. Um, but what happened was everybody, you know, was like, "So this player goes, yeah, I don't know about this Aimpoint Express thing." And I said, "All right, show me how you read a putt." He said, "Well, I, I get behind, I go about the midpoint, I kind of feel the slope a little bit in my feet, and then I stand behind it and I plumb bob it and I kind of look at it where it's going to go." I'm like, "Okay, you just did the exact same thing as Aimpoint Express, right?" But you're just calling it your way, which for tour players, a lot of times it is their way, right? If you ask a musician how they play a bass guitar, they're going to give you their way. Okay, that's cool. I do the same thing in my field. Okay, you do the same thing in pie. I do it my way. Yeah. Cool. Okay, build a cheeseburger, man. Tell me how you want it. You want pickles? Like eight years ago, I hated pickles. Now I love pickles on a burger. I hated olives. Now I love olives on pizza. I don't know. We change, we grow, do we develop? Make it your way. So how can you develop your process to not, you know, be repeatable, but also, you know, match up to the different types of courses you play? Because when I've tried to create my own process in the past, I fall into the trap of trying to um, curate it for certain courses I play quite often. How do you either a transfer your process to different courses and how do you set it up to uh, in, uh, initially for those? Well, I mean, your process is still a shot, right? So if you're, unless you're playing in St. Andrews and you've got a caddy who's been there for a hundred years, who knows to land at X, Y, Z. So it'll bounce up on the, the, you know what I mean? Right. you still have to hit a shot at hand. And what's the challenge of the shot at hand? It's, it's, I want to hit this shot there. I mean, if you've got, if you've got super firm greens into it from a downhill and you got to land it short, you know, that that's what the game plan is, right? So you're going to develop a game plan. That's all it is, right? So if if I was pitching and I was pitching, so here's a, here's a common example. Okay. So you're familiar with uh, the green monster in, at, at Fenway park, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
there's a lot of times that we would play golf or we'd play baseball places where it was kind of like they had like a version of the red mon or the green monster. So like Auburn was like that. Vanderbilt was like that. And they'd have a short porch and hitters would try to pull it. They would try to lift it. Right. And mm-hmm. pitchers would be worried and they would try to throw more sinkers. And at the end of the day, it's like, you're going to screw up more by trying to change to what they're doing versus playing your game and battling. You don't give up a lot of home runs, a lot of deep fly balls left. Uh, a second baseman who hits gaps should not be trying to pull it over the green monster. If it goes out over the green monster, so be it. You, you, you squared it up and it went right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that's why, like, if you listen to like tour players, when they do pro-ams, they're always like, what's your, you know, what do you carry that? Well, about 150. So really about 140 because everybody marks to their, their best. Um, it's the same as pitching. Oh, people throw 93 miles an hour. One time you threw 93 miles an hour. Now you're a 93 mile an hour throw. Oh, I drive it 300 yards, but you, but on tour, they really drive it. What's great is wet conditions, cold air. You look at it. It's like a 278 carry. It's like, huh? Okay. Now. Yeah. On days, it's really hard, really firm, really fast and really warm. The ball jo- goes. Yeah. Okay. Stop trying to market to those things. So what your process is, what's the shot hold? There are some days that I can take a six iron from 170 yards and hit it on the green. And there are other days I can't. So I don't need to hit that shot very often. I'm better to hit a ball into wind the way I, I, for me, I'm better to hit a ball into the wind the way I hit every single shot. Don't change my process. Yeah. Maybe just take a half club more. So I want to end, close out this episode uh, with, you know, most of my audience is junior golfers or collegiate golfers. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the collegiate golfers, at least that I know of that listen are D one and, you know, intend to potentially play at higher levels. What Pete, what advice would you give to uh, my listeners who are looking to make it to the next level, whether that be moving from junior golf to collegiate golf, collegiate golf to professional golf. I know you can stripe it on the range. And I know in your good days, you can let it rip. Okay. There are a zillion of those that are laying in the boneyard. All right. Get a fairway finder, a ball that you know, you can hit in play when you need it, whether it's a little skinny, little cut, it's a, you know, tee it down and it can get in play. Number one, number two, get your wedges better. Tour players wedges are brilliant. Okay. It's not, you know, the high, high pressure flop shot that they can hit. Yes. You can hit that. They can hit that, all that. They're really good with their wedges when they're in trouble and they have to get out of trouble get really good at getting out of trouble and taking a bogey and moving on and try, trying to be a rock star. Take your lump and move on and clean up putts inside five feet. Those are all based on kind of the resiliency of the game. It's not a modeling contest about who has the best swing, the best game, and who can go the lowest. Can you take a Thursday round when you don't have it and get the ball in the hole and get it in the house without doing a lot of damage? That gives you an invitation to play tomorrow. That gives you the chance to play on the weekend. Then let's see what happens. But stop trying to go out there and shoot your low round every single day. If you shoot your low round, awesome. But do it based on your process and your resiliency versus your perfect. Wow. Yep. Well, Brett, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this episode and sharing all this incredible information. Well, you got it. Thanks for it. Thanks for allowing me and proud of all your success and everything you're doing in the game. So keep up the great message and let's keep it going. 